business, leadership, high performance, the journey. All right, welcome everybody uh, to the show. Uh, we have a, uh, a guest with a phenomenal story today. So uh, he is really a true against all odds success story. Um, spent time in foster care, uh, multiple prison stays, uh, eventually he took ownership of his life and has now since become a serial entrepreneur, real estate investor, and motivational speaker. Uh, he is the CEO and owner of Brightside Exteriors and the Brightside Property Group. Uh, also the host of the Extra Mile podcast. Uh, if you have not checked that out yet, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, from Dover, Delaware, uh, welcome Mr. Brightside, Bobby Jones. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to uh, chatting it up with you, Pat. That's for sure. Hey, you bet. So a little backstory here. Bobby and I uh, first had the opportunity to meet uh, this summer in Fargo when a mutual friend uh, had brought him to town. And I know I've I've been excited for this because one of the first things I wanted to talk with Bobby about was uh, coming to Fargo. What in the world did you expect coming here? What did you end up doing while you're here? And um, I know the the expectations uh, far outreached uh, kind of what you what you originally maybe thought coming coming to Fargo. So I know you guys did a little bit of everything, but yeah, tell me tell me just about your uh, your stay in Fargo and what you thought coming from an East Coast guy. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was so much fun. I mean, you know, granted, I think a trip anywhere around good people um, makes it that much better anyway. So I was really excited to see friends, but. You know, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I didn't really have high expectations for a whole lot of entertainment. I thought that we would be, you know, kind of, you know, staring at each other and having conversations. Um, <laughs> but um, but flying in, it was kind of interesting because coming in, you know, you see these Detroit lakes right as you're going to land into uh, Fargo. And I'd never seen anything like that before, especially, you know, from that perspective. And you just see all these, like, separated lakes. So, of course, one of the things I asked about as soon as I got uh, in uh, with Jody was, you know, what the heck was that? How far away is it? And I was really grateful that we were able to make that part of the trip because it was so much fun, you know, uh, just experiencing that with, um, you know, fresh water at the lakes like we have here. We have beaches and, you know, the lakes aren't normally the, the place everybody goes to. So out there it's uh, very different. But um, but Fargo was awesome. North Dakota was awesome, um, you know. Again, having good people around you definitely made it a lot of fun, but we explored what we could explore. Uh, one of the things that I'll never forget, and it was funny because we sat down at a diner and I saw this, I think it's called Nefla soup. <laughs> you and, got it, um, man. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so actually one of the locals was like, I'm, they were like, I'm not a big fan of it, but you know, a lot of people like it. I was like, all right, well, at first I wasn't going to try it. And then I was like, you know what? I'm, you know, went in Rome, right? So I was like, all right, let's do it. I actually really liked it. So <laughs> Nuffla Soup, I two thumbs up from Bobby Jones. I like it. So if you guys come to North Dakota, definitely have the Nuffla Soup. Um, it was it was good. But I had so much fun. I mean, and, you know, when you're there with somebody who's just so well-connected, you get to meet great people. Um, of course, you know, um, touring the different locations, uh, going down uh, slides in office buildings. I mean, we just had so much fun. Uh, and it was just far exceeded my expectations for Fargo for sure. Awesome, man. Great to hear. Yeah, that Nefla soup, um, for anybody that doesn't know what that is, I mean, imagine a creamy soup that is filled with cut-up potatoes and chunks of dough. I mean, that's it. So it's it could be like a concrete mixer in your stomach sometimes, but uh, it's, 
Uh, you find someone, you find an old uh, Scandinavian or uh, German gal that can mix up some some kick ass Nephil soup, and you'll be set here, man. <laughs> Perfect. I know uh, this. this I, had it, I had it at a diner, and I liked it so. <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, the Scotch eggs, I remember too. You you could stop talking mm. about. See, I wasn't trying to talk about them because now I'm going to start salivating. Um, you know, those those scotch eggs were amazing, by far the best I've ever had. Um, so, yeah, it was just an amazing time. And, and like I said, you know, I love meeting new people. Pat, it was a pleasure to connect with you out there. Um, got to meet some really, really great uh, people through Jody and some of the others. And, uh, you know, that's what life's all about, just making new connections, new relationships. And, um you know, um, just having having people around you that are good, good vibes, good energy, and there was a ton of that there. Yeah, awesome. No, that's 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 great to hear. And you know, living, growing up, living in in North Dakota all my life, um, being in the Fargo area for the last um, man almost twenty years now, um, it it really is a unique place. You know, and people always ask, you know, what the hell you stay there for, man? It's I mean, it gets down to thirty, forty below. There, you know, it's flat. There's not much to do, and it's like. There's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of positives about it. I'll tell you that, and and the people is one of the biggest things that you find. You know, just the the people yeah, really, yeah. really, truly value relationships, connection here, and you know that's and that's huge in life. That's that's what it's all about, man. So, but yeah, for good yeah, good I, good I food. So uh, whoop, go ahead. I was gonna say I we traveled about an hour and a half away um, from Fargo uh, and went to a restaurant near the lakes over there and, you know, Jody, who we went with, um, there must've been five, six, seven different groups of people to stop and say hello to her. And, you know, that was, that was an hour and a half away from home base, I'll call it. And, um, still just, you know, people were so kind. Um, I guess it's a common place to, uh, take a trip to, but, you know, uh, so well connected and everybody was just really, really kind and, and expressed, um, you know, nothing but, um, you know, consideration and, uh, empathy for one another it was yep. it was really awesome it was really great yeah it's 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 super unique and there aren't many places in uh anywhere where you can travel to a state and you hear a last name and you know exactly where that person's from <laughs> that's that's one claim <laughs> yeah, to fame here in north dakota so well bobby i was i was pumped to have you on the show after meeting you because i mean knowing some of your story and and really how it's going to resonate with the audience today as we dive into things of really um you know the, the tough times in your life and really, really owning it, you know, just really owning the journey of who you are, where you've been, uh, and really figuring out who it is that you want to be and, and how you're going to get there. And then the execution of it, you know, the, the seeing who you want to be, finally jumping on the opportunities, changing things around, um, and really making it happen is, is, is what I'm, I'm really excited, uh, to, to hear from you today. So, Let's um, let's dive back, Bobby. I mean, from Dover, Delaware, uh, grew up there, uh, still in Delaware today. I know, like I said, you own a uh, home exterior company, you own a property group, you host a podcast, uh, uh, motivational speaking. So you're all over the place, man. But I want to really dive back into early Bobby. So let's talk about um, growing up in in Dover. Um, what was your family like? What were some of the big influences growing up? Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, we, we grew up in a, a single-wide trailer in a town actually not in Dover. It's about 10 minutes outside of Dover called Magnolia, and it was a single-wide trailer. Um, there were five of us in that uh, two-bedroom um, 
trailer and I had my older brother, my younger sister, and of course my mom and my dad. And, you know, when you're young, the things that you don't have, the life that you're living that might not be so normal still feels and seems extremely normal. Um, so it wasn't until, you know, I got older, got into uh, certain ages where, you know, people were comparing like the brand of shoes before I kind of realized that we didn't have as much as other people. Mm-hmm. Our house was a lot smaller than most others. And, you know, I just had less than other people. But early childhood, you know, we were happy, man. And I think a lot of that I still hold on to today. So, you know, it's not, um, it's something that, you know, make, reminds me that I don't need very many luxuries um, to, to be happy uh, because you can have happiness without those things. But um, my parents struggled with addiction and, um, you know, it wasn't something that was real bad in the beginning, but, you know, progressively got worse and um, foster care, um, the state kind of stepped in and, and uh, saw that there was some neglect. Uh, going on. So they launched an investigation and um, did some drug testing, things like that, and uh, would take us um, and put us into foster homes. Now, this kind of was an on and off thing for a few years until uh, they kind of, you know, made a solid decision to keep us there uh, for quite some time. So in sixth grade, I moved around a lot. I had uh, six different school districts that I was in in sixth grade. Uh, and somehow I was still able to pass that grade um, and move on to seventh grade. But Soon after, they actually came to me and my sister and said, you know what, it's time for you guys to go back home. And I never really understood why, because at the time, my parents had no electricity. They, didn't, they were still using drugs. They didn't have a vehicle or a job or a driver's license, anything like that. It was kind of worse than it was when they took us. So I never really got an answer on why that happened. But we ended up getting kind of put back in. I don't want to say thrown to the wolves, but, but kind of. My mom was still really struggling with addiction and um Nobody was really watching me. So at like seventh grade, when I'm 13 years old, I'm kind of running the streets all over the place, not going to school, doing whatever I wanted to do. And of course, what I wanted to do at that time was gain attention. And I gained attention. The only way I knew how was to act out and, uh, you know, do the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I got into trouble, got arrested at 13, got arrested again at 14, ended up doing two years in juvenile uh, facilities. um, And I came home when I was about 17 years old. So that's kind of like where I was uh, before adulthood, um, not really on the uh, right track at that point. Um, had some had some influences, but even the best influences around me, Pat, were like people that had worked the nine to five job that they're in for the last 10, 15, 20 years. There were no high level um, entrepreneurs or any real high level success or achievement around me at all. Um, so I really just kind of thought to myself that what my parents had done and the people around me had done, that that's really the best that I was going to be able to accomplish as well. Mm-hmm. So th- is that a pretty blue collar area? It is. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Especially the Magnolia area. Once you get into Dover, it's a little bit more, but you know, we were in a trailer, we were in a trailer near a trailer park and most of the people there had jobs in the trades and you know, um, really working with their hands more than anything. And, uh, you know, again, that just kind of left the expectation for me and, you know, not to jump ahead, but one of the things that's really big about my story today is like, when you, when you believe something your whole life and at one point, you know, you learn that it's untrue and that quite the opposite is true. You do, you immediately feel this responsibility to share that with the world. Right. And like, of course, there's a lot of people that understand that, but, man, it's, it's so amazing today to look back on that expectation for myself and think to myself, like, like I never, not only 
could I never imagine what I'm doing today, but I couldn't imagine doing the things I was doing five years ago, let alone what I'm doing today. So, you know, those expectations are often um, misplaced and oh. false and just, just built on false ideas and self-limiting beliefs. Oh, abs- absolutely. And, and I think everybody struggles with those, you know, and, and a lot of people don't realize of, I mean, your entire belief system is formed before like the age of seven, you know, of mm, everything yeah, we that, talking about this. yeah, everything that you are familiar with, everything you're exposed to, I mean, everything you've heard, I mean, you are literally a sponge up to the age of seven and it, and you're, you're pretty well molded, you know, mentally by the time you get to that point and, you know, I, I've seen it in adults all the time. And especially as, as I've worked with people one-on-one in the past of how do you blow up those self-limiting beliefs that people have had from the earliest of time, they don't even know where the hell they came from, you know, and so many of them are from when they were young kids and their upbringing. And until you start bringing people back to those past moments in their lives, I don't think a lot of people really realize where a lot of those thoughts do come from and, and have been formed. No, and you're right. And then, you know, what what happens is if we can get them to break one of them, the the successes that come from that, right, the results from coming from that broken, um, uh, you know, self-limiting belief where they get past it and understand what's actually possible beyond it, they start to question to themselves, well, shit, I've been believing this my whole life, mm-hmm. and it's untrue. Does that mean that that over there, what I believed is impossible, is also possible? And the entire time was untrue. And then they start challenging the beliefs that they have about other things. And there's a snowball effect that can happen. And that's kind of what happened with me, not to jump ahead. But, um, you know, at the, at the point where I came home when I was 17, I was far from over or I was far from done with my troubles and um, the mistakes that I would make that would lead me back into trouble with the law. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you, especially if you can find like that one big domino belief. You know, if you can get that thing to tip or fall, like you said, it's just a cascading effect of people just blowing up all these other beliefs. And then it's and then that's where that confidence comes uh, with people of, all right, now that I have realized so much of my life and all these things I believed have been BS. Now I have the confidence to really go after what it is I truly want and who I really want to be. And that's where that's where you see people absolutely take off in life. And they just leave everything and and sometimes everyone in the dust because it's just that 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 past crew they hang out with and those past people that they've spent time with. Um, and when when people finally want what they truly, really uh, when they discover what they really, truly want, it's amazing, amazing what people can accomplish. Yeah, it, 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 and it's and it's it's a momentum that is very, very hard to interfere with. Um, if somebody tries to, um, and so it is, it's extremely powerful. Yeah. I've been listening to, as we're recording this, um, Matthew McConaughey just launched his new book, green lights. And if you've followed any of that, I've read it. Oh, I've I've read it. It's, it's, I love it. Oh, it's sitting on my shelf right now. Uh, my goal is to get to it in the next week here. Um, actually I'm, I'm going down to Dallas in just a couple of weeks here. My goal is to knock that thing out on the plane on the way down and back. But yeah, he talks about, you know, green lights. yeah, if I can make any recommendation on that, the audiobook was phenomenal because he's reading it, oh, and he is yeah. like one of the best storytellers I've ever. So a lot of times I'll do the the combination of both. I'll read the book and listen to it yeah. for you know an increased retention. Um, 
So, uh, but anyway, yeah, it, it was a great, great book. I've actually started listening to it a second time now. Awesome. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. His, his concept of green lights in life of just following the momentum and going with it, you know, and, and the positivity because it is going to change, you know, and yeah. And a lot of people live in this fantasy world of like wherever they are, it's just how it's going to be. No, it's always going to change the other way. So if things are going really poorly, it's always going to get better. And if it's going fantastic, you're always going to have low points too. And I know I'm, I'm pumped to read it and I've listened to actually just I literally on the way over here to record this, I was listening to his podcast with Jay Shetty, which is one of my favorites, uh, the on purpose, uh, podcasts and, and and they're talking through talking through it, so it's it's been fun to listen to him make all the rounds um, on all the podcaster platforms and such, or just talking about the the whole concept of the book of just momentum and confidence, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's what got me on it too. I listened to Gary V's podcast with him on it promoting the book, and it, what no, it was really good. It was really really good, and you know, it's um it's something that you know I think a lot of people once you get that momentum of the green lights you go with the flow, right? But also understand what you were saying. Like the only constant in life is change. So be comfortable with that. Understand it's coming. And, um, you know, instead of like going with the flow of the green lights, a lot of people want to take the path of least resistance, Mm -hmm. like, like a water trickle. And that's the opposite of what you want to do. You got to continue to work hard for it every step of the way. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely not easy. That's for damn sure. Okay, so we're at sep- you're at 17 years old. I mean, you've already done a couple stints in in juvenile detention. Where where did things go from here for you, Bobby? Uh, yeah, so they got a little bit worse before they got better, and by a little bit, um, at 17, I met my now wife Heather. Um, we were uh, uh, she was she was uh, 15. I was 16 when we when we met. Um, so I had just just about to turn 17 when I was, when I was released uh, from the juvenile facilities. And then um, at 17, I remember this was like late summer of that year. And um, I was hanging with a couple of buddies in Dover and um, caught a, and I don't want to say caught because I put myself in that situation, but I was arrested for robbery. Um, Now, you know, everything's taken a little bit out of context with, with, with um, this particular part of the story. Um, but nonetheless, I was doing the wrong thing at the wrong time and shouldn't have been doing what I was doing. So I got arrested for robbery at 17, Pat, but they charged me as an adult. So I went to adult court system. And then when I was sentenced in April, I had turned 18 in March. So this was my very first time in adult prison. And I was only 18 for a month. I remember it was kind of, I mean, obviously it's all scary, especially at the, in the moment, but my very first cellmate in that prison was a guy who had two life sentences for killing two people in Wilmington, Delaware. He was like six foot five. I mean, just huge guy. And, uh, here I am, this little punk white boy, um, just put in his cell, weighed probably like 160 pounds. Um, now fortunately he was one of the nicest guys, um, you know, had been in there quite a while and tried to work on himself, but, um, but it was, it was very intimidating. It was very scary. Um, but it wasn't the scariest time of my prison stays. Um, unfortunately I would get comfortable with the situation and, uh, I would get arrested a few more times after that particular sentence. Um, got, uh, arrested for, um, the robbery, got arrested for possession with intent to deliver cocaine. So I was selling cocaine. 
Um, and then I was arrested for assault. Um, so my charges were kind of all over the place. I, I was just a habitual criminal. My behaviors were totally inexcusable and out of line. And then my final stay in prison came on the back of a burglary charge. And this would have been my fourth felony conviction. And so I had, you know, very familiar with the routine at this point. So when I get to court, you know, I'm like, okay, public defender, tell me what my plea bargain is going to be. And a plea mm -hmm. bargain, for those who don't, don't know, you can plead guilty to something for a lesser sentence rather than them taking you all the way to court and the trial and convicting you. And then they're going to give you the max sentence typically. So I was ready for my plea bargain to see how little of a sentence I could possibly get. And they said to me, your, your, the plea that the state is offering is for 33 years. Wow. And I said, what? They said 33 years. Now, there was a few reasons for that, but to save time, we can get into that another time. Um, but mainly, it was because of my habitual criminal behavior. Mm -hmm. And it was also because there were different charges, all of them, right? If I'd have done the same thing every time, they might have been even a little bit more lenient on me, but they really viewed me as a menace to society because my charges were all over the place. Um, so I was like, holy smokes, really time for reflection. The next three months I spent, you know, in pretrial, in jail, praying, hoping and wishing for five, 10, 15 years, something that I'd be able to come home from and be a part of my daughter's life. I had a, um, a three-year-old at that time. And, um, you know, I just wanted something that I, maybe I can come home and still be a part of my daughter's life. I remember thinking that like pretty much every night in my prison cell, just hoping and wishing for that. Um, you get comfortable in there after a little while. So I've made some friends on the cell, on the tier and, um, you know, making friends, creating relationships, even in that setting was very important. And so about three months in, my cousin uh, gets arrested for murder. He was selling drugs and somebody tried to rob him. He shot the guy straight in the chest, um, just one shot, and the guy died. He's wrong, um, you know, obviously, and, and uh, responsible for his actions, but he gets arrested. They put him about two doors down from me in a, in a cell, two cells down from me. And that really ended up being a very important um, detail because it turns out pretty much everybody on the cell had some kind of connection to the person he killed. So the next wow. four months that I was in there, I went from having friends that I was cooking dinner, playing basketball, basketball with to fighting them to keep my cousin alive the next night. Um, it was the scariest time of my life. Every day they would open our doors. We would have to go back to back and protect ourselves. Um, and it was, like I said, extremely scary. Uh, we had to leave ourselves to go eat uh, every day. So, you know, we had to come out. We couldn't not come out. And the target wasn't on my back, but I was, I felt responsible for my cousin to protect him and keep him safe. And so um, one day I remember I was just really aware of everything going on around me. And I remember I was outside playing basketball. My cousin, of course, was safe in his cell. And uh, I remember hearing, I was running up and down the court, and I just happened to hear a group of guys at the end of the court say, we're running in on the white boy on eighth here. And it's a miracle that I heard that. But once I heard it, it was no surprise or secret as to who they were after because there was only three white boys on eight tier. It was me, my cousin, and this one old guy at the end of the tier. So um, I had to rush in there uh, as soon as they would open the doors. I had to rush in and be the first one in there to tell him to get his shoes on and kind of stand guard at his door as they came down there. Um, like I said, scariest time of my life. And after about four months, we started to get some of the heat off of his back and started to get things a little bit more comfortable for him. Um, still there was some things going on, but it was, a, it was getting better. Um, and so this was time for my trial. 
Um, I remember going to court and talking to my public defender. My public defender was, you know, telling me that the plea hadn't gotten any better. They're still asking for the 33 years. And I was like, dang, all this praying, hoping and wishing for 5, 10, 15 hasn't helped at all, I guess. And um, so we get to court. My public defender says, okay, you know what? Let's try this. Let's grab four or five guys from the holding cell and let's take them up and put them in the jury box. We'll see if the witness slash victim can identify you. And I was like, yeah, fat chance. I, you know, I knew this guy was going to pick me out. He had seen me. I talked to him. He'd been there every other court date he showed up to. Uh, and the other people that were in the holding cell looked nothing like me. So there was no like similar looking person. Mm -hmm. So we get up into the jury box and I'm sitting there and the bring, they bring the witness victim in and he looks me dead in my face. And after praying for five, 10, 15 years, he said to the courtroom, the man that did this is not in the courtroom today. Wow. <laughs> and I've got no explanation for it at all. We were not able to make any contact with this guy. I tried. Um, you know, when you're looking at 33 years, you have to try everything. So I tried to have people get in contact with him, see what we could work out, whatever. Nobody was able to get in contact with him. There was never any um, success in getting in contact with him. And I've got no reason, no explanation for why he did that in the courtroom that day. He had showed up to every other court date. That's crazy. Um, That's absolutely I crazy. I chalked it up to divine intervention, right? How could you not? And for me, I said to myself, man, in this moment, I've been blessed. I've been spared. I went home the same night, by the way. Um, and I said, you know what? I cannot, I don't know what caused this, but I got to give extreme gratitude to the universe or the energy or to God or whatever you believe in. I got to give credit to where credit's due, but now it's my turn to return the favor. And I said, from this point on, I will never make an excuse. I'm going to take extreme ownership of my life and I'm going to do something phenomenal with it. And so, um, I don't know if you want to pause there for a second, but the story gets crazy. Um, we can certainly take a break for a second if you want to get back to it in a sec though. Um, oh, only, only thing I can say is, wow. Is, I mean, that's, yeah, me that's, too, man. I mean, that's like you said, divine intervention, fate, call it what you may. I mean, that's, that's absolutely crazy. I mean, and here's, here's yep, the thing too. Here, here's my question while you were going through all that is, I mean, what, what honestly kept you going? I mean, when you're looking at that, I mean, 20, 30 years and you're, I mean, you're expecting that. How in the hell do you keep going every single day in prison, just fighting the fight that you were? I mean, what, what kept you going, Bobby? Well, you know, it is funny because you are, you are consistently impacted by your environment. So when you're in there and you're looking at your time, it's easy to get sad and depressed, but then you look around and you're like, you know, for example, my cousin who just got put in there for murder, you know, he, he's going to get more time than I'm going to get regardless. Right. And he's younger than me. And, you know, still every single day, getting up, putting forth the effort, trying. Um, and you know, whether, you know, that inspiration comes from unlikely sources like that or not. It, it, it's true. It's real. And there's always, and this might sound a little, little out there, but there's always been something in me, Pat, that I just felt like, I always felt like that I was destined for something. Like I always felt oh, like there's just, I'm supposed to do something. And, you know, it was hard to, like, I almost had to like, cast that thought aside most of my childhood because it just, there was no, there was very little re reason to believe mm -hmm. that there was any potential within me or any uh, true hope for me. 
Um, but there was some kind of just burning desire that I was going to do something. And um, so I couldn't give up. And that's why I think I did stay and pray every single day or hope or wish or whatever it is for that 5, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I couldn't give up. I couldn't give up. I had to keep moving. I had to keep going forward. And, um, and that took me, you know, cause it wasn't easy once I came home. So you got to think about this, right? At seven or at, at, I was at 20, I was 21. Um, when I, I got released in 2007, right? So now, yep. 21. So I was 21 years old, have been charged as an adult at 17 in the past four years. I had really been in and out of jail at, more than I had been home. And, mm-hmm. um, now I've got three felony convictions and now I'm going to go take on the world, right? That's what I mean. I got this energy because I just got spared and I could quickly get sad and depressed about my current situation. Three felony convictions. I had no car, no clothes. I was borderline homeless at that time. My uncle let me sleep on his couch in a trailer park here uh, in Felton, Delaware. And, um, and, but I just, I couldn't give up. I was like, you know what? There's something I'm, I'm gr- so grateful Regardless of how bad it looks right now, I'm so grateful because I could have been sentenced to 33 years or more. So at least I'm here. At least I'm home. So, um, but, but then I was like, okay, now what? Because I do have to do something to get a job. Mm-hmm. Because what I did was when I came home, I had this vision of like what the best version of me would look like. Like, and I don't mean like just aesthetically, right? Because um, I would have picked for more hair than I have. <laughs> if it was just that, but I meant, I meant like everything, like what, yep. what would be the best version of me? Like what time would that person get up? What, how would he dress? Who would he affiliate himself with? What kind of diet would he have? How would he talk? How would he speak to people? How would he treat people? And, you know, the quick thing that I pick up obviously is that this person that I'm seeing here, right. In order to do all those things that we're talking about, well, he's going to need a job, right. Cause he's going to need to be able to get up early, do something that gives him purpose. And then of course he's going to need income to dress differently and to eat properly and things like that. So, um, so I borrowed a suit from a friend of mine because I knew after putting in applications and applications, nobody was going to call me because I had three felonies. So I said, okay, let's get out here. Let's get a job. So I borrowed a suit from a friend, from my cousin who's like six foot two and way taller than me. I'm five ten, five nine on a, on, you know, most days. Um, and, uh, I borrowed a suit, got a haircut, and then I just started showing up to different places that I thought might employ me and saying I'm there for my interview. And I didn't have an interview scheduled. I didn't put in an application. I didn't even ask them if they were hiring. I just walked in and I said, hi, my name is Robert Jones or Bobby Jones, and I'm here for my 11 o'clock interview. That's clever, and they looked man. at me like I was crazy. <laughs> That's clever. They looked at me like I was crazy, Pat. <laughs> but, but what they didn't know, Pat, is like when I said I had an 11 o'clock interview, Man, you couldn't have told me no different. I was so convinced that I had an 11 o'clock interview because I scheduled it in my brain, in my mind. I was like, I have an 11 o'clock interview at this place. So when I got there and they said, oh, we don't have an 11 o'clock interview scheduled for you. I said, oh, that's no problem. I'll just have a seat and I'll wait. (laughs) Take control of the situation, right? I just sat and I waited, man. The first place I went to, 45 minutes I sat there before an assistant manager came out, peeked around the corner, saw me in a suit brought me back. I remember people laughing at me on my way back to the interview room, Pat, because they were joking. They were like, Oh, what are you hiring for a salary position? Ha ha ha. What's this dude wearing a suit for kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so what ended up being crazy is obviously I got the job 
I got the job. I was a temporary part-time associate in an electronics department for a major retail store. I then, a few weeks later, I stayed overnight. I didn't ask for permission. I stayed overnight, and I completely redid the TV wall. That was all hooked up to basic cable on high-definition TVs. The pictures were terrible. And so I stayed overnight. I'd been watching YouTube videos on how to do it. I didn't ask anybody any permission. I just stayed overnight and did it. In the morning, all the TVs were beautiful, cleaned off, running the same loop through all the TVs. I went home. I learned as much as I could about the TVs. I came in and I taught everybody in the department about the TVs. I didn't just keep that information to myself. I taught everybody. Mm-hmm. So within two weeks' time, we didn't have any TVs in the store. You couldn't buy a TV from that store for another two weeks because everything that was coming in in the next two weeks was already sold also. And the store manager said, what the hell is going on? He came over <laughs> to the department, and everybody pointed at me and said it was this guy. And two months after I had been released from prison, I was being made a manager at that store. Wow. Wow. Two months? Two months. You know, when you were, I got to back up a little bit. When you were talking about, you know, envisioning the best version of yourself, all I can think of is one of my, one of my favorite guys that I love listening to is Ed Milet. And he always refers to this about when mm-hmm. he, oh, he, he talks about, you know, the day that you die and you go to where, wherever it is that you go, you know, and he talks about meeting the person that you could have been, you know, standing next mm-hmm. to the person that you could have been. And he said his greatest Ooh. his greatest fear is looking at that person and seeing that he didn't become it. So he always talks about the ultimate yeah. goal should be looking at that person and go, shit, that's that's exactly who I am. I became everything that yeah. I could be and was destined to be. You know, and I, I think of that so, so frequently of, you know, mornings I wake up or when I when I question things about like, why am I doing this? You know, or I'm just like when you're grinding and grinding and grinding and, and you know, you're just focusing on the process and just waiting for things to break or happen. And, and you need that push of like, when is it going to happen? If you just keep reminding yourself of like, Hey, just keep working, man, just keep pushing through it. You know, because you know, if you, if you can truly envision that person that you are ultimately able to become and you don't stop anything short of it, I mean, man, you're going to, you're going to do great things. So, wow. So two, so yeah, so, sorry, sidetrack there. So two months, I mean, two months, no, you're a manager. No, yeah, that was a good point. So, I mean, you go from literally a prison cell to a two months later, you're a manager in the store. Yes, sir. Yeah. It was uh, like a customer service manager position at the store, but still, I mean, you know, it was so, it was so, um, I don't want to say funny because it wasn't funny. It was actually sad. But there was so much anger around the area uh, because there were people that had been there for five years and wanted to, that management position. And I passed them in two months. And but what which was super interesting for me, and of course, at this point, I know, like, well, you could have done exactly what I did, mm-hmm. but but you just didn't. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why, like, everything that I talk about is going the extra mile. Like, there's the standard that everybody's okay with like that. That's the the world will accept you there, but do you accept you there? And to get, to get anything more than the standard and the average from life, well, you got to put more into life. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I always talk about the extra mile. Brian Tracy always says like, there's never any traffic jams on the extra mile. (laughs) It's not crowded. 
it's not crowded. There's nobody putting in the effort like we are. Like that's where you get rewarded and that's where you get to show what you're actually made of, what you're actually capable of. It's where you find you know, it's where you find what you're made of more than anything, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, and think about this, and this is kind of a sidetrack, but uh, the University of Phoenix did a study, and this was after they, another university put out this report of the overworked American report, right? And they, you know, what they did is they did a self-assessment. They went around all these different places of employment, and they said, hey, do you work hard? And, of course, Bill would be like, oh, yeah, you know, you betcha. I work my you-know-what off. And they'd go and they'd ask Sally, and Sally would be like, oh, yeah, I'm working my, you know, working like crazy here. And they'd just take self-assessments, and they went back, and they said, oh, it's the overworked American, and they said how hard everybody was working. Well, University of Phoenix challenged that. They put time, they put uh, motion sensors and um, cameras into a bunch of different locations and a bunch of different industries all over the country. And at the end of their study, they found that the average American on a 40-hour paid work week actually only works 26 hours out of the week. <laughs> I believe it. So to me, so to me, I was like, okay, that means I got 14 more hours than the average person has that I could put in and, and, and really shine. So, you know, when you think about that, it can be an opportunity for you. Mm-hmm. But, but we're, too busy, we're too stuck in the standard, you know? Um, so that was the, the one thing for me. I always just love that idea of just going a little bit harder, the extra mile. And, you know, so, so four years later, I was running the whole left side of that store. And the lady who had laughed at me for coming in and interviewing in a suit and said, oh, what are you interviewing for a salary position? Here's what she didn't know is I was interviewing for a salary position. Mm-hmm. Not at the moment, but I was going to set the impression. And I was going to put that version of me in that person's mind as well. And four years later, she was working for me. I was supervising <laughs> that department. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Dress for the job so, that you want, man. Right. Yep, exactly. And so, you know, the ceiling was there. I ended up starting my business in uh, 2011. Um, but, but, you know, transparency here, um, Pat, you know, I, I ended up failing in my first business. I, um, I went into a partnership with a buddy of mine and, um, he ended up having an affair, uh, the second year we were into the business and I didn't even know about it when his wife found out, I felt just as betrayed as she did. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, he was spending company money on some girl up in New York. I mean, it was just insane. Fortunately enough, I was able to sell my share of that business, uh, to one of, to one of our other team members and, uh, I got out. Um, and, uh, that's when I started Brightside. um, originally did start Brightside with some partners, but, um, I was able to buy the partners out within about a year and a half. Um, and so I am the sole owner, um, my wife and I, to be clear, are the sole owners of Brightside and, um, started Brightside property group a few years ago. Um, when I bought my first investment property, I love real estate. It really runs parallel to, what I'm already doing by way of home improvement. So it just made a lot of sense to, to get involved, to get invested. And I've got some great mentors that have helped me along the way. Um, partnered up with Master Networks a few years ago because I really love the idea of the power of the relationships and how, you know, you can get so much reward through your contribution to other people in that way. Um, but, of course, you know, you typically get quite a bit of ROI yourself uh, just by wanting to help others. So, um, Master Networks has been a huge part of our growth. I do love being a part of Master Networks and working hard on it. Um, but, um, 
but you know, when we're going back to what we were talking about earlier and it's like, um, you know, it's like when you learn that, when you learn that the things that you thought were true are actually untrue, you want to scream it from the mountaintop to the world. Mm -hmm. And so right now I feel responsible, right? That what so many people believe about themselves and what so many people are taught about themselves or taught, you know, how they're supposed to be or what they're supposed to do. I feel responsible for going out here and showing them how much is possible, no matter how hard the, the, the cards are stacked against you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, and that's why I've gotten into the motivational speaking. I, I, I speak now to troubled youth, at-risk youth. I'm actually speaking to our local police department, new cadets, too, about the interactions with police officers and, and things like that um, coming uh, February. Um, so I'm really excited about that. But I do a lot with uh, the det- detention centers now. I go back uh, every six months or so to speak to kids that are in a cycle in those uh, detention centers and programs. And I work with some of the local police departments and some of the other programs that they have uh, to try to inspire these kids and, you know, I hope that, you know, if I speak to 20, 30 or a thousand people at one time, I hope to just really shine light on the idea that what you think you're limited to now, you just simply aren't. Mm-hmm. Whatever you think you are limited to, you're not. It's as simple as that. You can go so far beyond that. And then once you do, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, Pat, is like, you know, once I've realized, holy shit, do you mean to tell me that I can just put this suit on and I can get this job? Does that mean if I go the extra mile again, I might be able to secure that job? When I got that job, Pat, it was a um, temporary part-time position for, for Christmas, for the holiday season. Yep. So I was told at the same moment I'm being hired that I'm also going to be fired if I don't do something. So for me, like, it was – so I, every step of the way, I was like, does this mean – that that over there is also untrue and that if I just apply some effort over here, I can get, I can get, you know, a permanent position. And does this mean if I try a little bit harder here, I can get promoted? Does this mean if I, you know, so it, every step of the way there was like these, these um, just this sense of awareness of like, and these breakthrough moments for what's possible. I always use the saying, you go as far as you can see. And when you get there, you'll be able to see further, keep going. Yeah, it's the infinite game too, isn't it? It is. It is. And then and then it becomes a game of self-awareness. What do you really want, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, sure, you can keep climbing this or keep going in that direction, but you get to a point where you get, to, you get the power to start making your own decisions. You know, a lot of people come to me and they're like, oh, but I don't love my job. No kidding. So, yeah. A lot of times you don't love your job because you're working towards something, but love the process. Yes. If this is part of the process, then love it. You know, so, you know, as we're climbing, it is our responsibility to say, okay, what do I really want from life? This isn't about money. This isn't about financial, you know, um, dominance. This is about financial security to the point where you're able to pursue the shit you actually want to go after. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think most people have any clue what they want because they never even begin the climb. They never start asking Mm -hmm. the tough questions of themselves of, the why and the what, and like you said, the process, and they don't take the very first step up the mountain per se on that climb. And that's why they don't know what is ever beyond that. And they just sit there stuck spinning. Think, you know, 
they, they never take the very first step that allows them to see kind of over maybe that next peak and what's beyond it. And then once you conquer that, then you see the next one and the next one and the next one. And then I, I you know, I, I'm a big believer in you only truly find yourself if you, if you keep taking each of those steps, those risks, those leaps, you keep asking why and um, questioning things and you blow up those, like you said, self-limiting beliefs of the past. And only through that journey do you get closer and closer to who and where you want to be, you know. But but it's like 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 we said, it's an infinite game. You never there's never this end destination. I think that you can ever reach. Yeah, that that's interesting. I mean, because of course, every day is going to bring something new, right? Like you know, it, get, it maybe it becomes you know one day those those um, those steps become smaller and smaller, and they do become something that's just something you know day to day or week to week versus year by year. Um, because once you're in a place that you're truly happy, it becomes, it becomes uh, a simpler question each day. But the question, and it's so crazy how the hardest question, the, the toughest question for us to ask answer to ourselves is the shortest possible question you could ask. Why? Mm-hmm. Like, why? And, and kids are so good at that, man. They just keep asking. Yeah. They're like, because we have to. Because we have to. <laughs> no, why? What do you mean we have to? Why do we have to? And that's, and that's what I, I've been pushing this a lot lately, Pat, because, you know, I have, um, I have a 16 year old and I have an 11 year old. And I always say to my daughters, they're, because, they're, you know, they're being told this in school, you have to do this. I, I tell them quickly, no, 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 you don't have to do this. But if you want Y, you have to do X. Yep. If you don't want Y, then you do not have to do X. Understand that. Like, mm-hmm. this is what we've been forced to deal with our whole lives. You have to go to school. You have to get, go to college. You have to get a job, and you have to do this, and you have to get married, and you have to get kids. No, no, no. If you want that, you have to do that. And that's what I've been pushing for my girls so much is, like, if you – you, I mean, granted, that's a tough question to answer, especially at a young age. And if you don't, if you don't have an answer for it, that's okay. Yep. That's okay. But don't put yourself in a bad spot pursuing something you don't want. Yeah. You know, if you don't want something, then let's stay the heck away from it. Yeah, and then all the while you have society, um, everybody battling the E word, entitlement. I'm entitled to why, mm-hmm. Bobby. I'm entitled to that. Why should I have to work for it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, that's something that I that I, of course, you know, the way I grew up, I knew like no superhero or no no person was coming to save me. Um, I may have made a lot of mistakes, but along the way, I definitely knew that I was in this world on my own. Like at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's, if it's to be, it's up to me. Oh, I love that. And phrase. I may have taken it the wrong direction most of my life, but, but you know, I was, I was in ownership over like what was going to happen to me. And I knew that from an early age. And that's why I say like, you know, it was funny because when I started to really tell my story originally, I would look back on my childhood and I would pick out all the faults and all the problems with it and, and how it, you know, um, was bad. But really, when I look back on my childhood and I actually look at pictures and like some of the home videos and stuff, Pat, I, I was happy. Mm-hmm. And at one point, matter of fact, when I met my wife, I was living with my dad in a camper behind my uncle's house. Okay. Um, 
I can tell you without any bit of hesitation, those are some of the happiest times of my life was living in that camper behind my, behind my uncle's house with my dad. Now that's bizarre to think about, but it helps me today because I know that my happiness is about like me, my family. And I know that I could lose everything tangible in my life, including my businesses and everything. And I'd still have happiness. You know, isn't so, it, isn't it amazing? Me, I was just gonna say, isn't it amazing, yeah. Robbie, how some people don't realize that that truly is a choice of, of waking up each day and every decision you make and every, how you perceive everything is a, a hundred percent a choice of just saying, I can either choose to be happy about this and positive about it or find the good in it, or I can be pissy and negative and complain and blame it on somebody else. And that's it, man, that we've spent. And unfortunately I have a sister who, who took the, the other road and, um, you know, I love her and I hope that one day she, she cleans up her stuff and I spent a lot of time trying to help her, but she's, uh, she's, she struggled with addictions for a long, long time. And, uh, She's, she's still in that situation, unfortunately, and I, I hope the best for her. Um, but, uh, but she did. She took the victim mentality the whole mm-hmm. way. You know, she blamed everyone and expected – she blamed everyone for her problems, but also expected everyone to fix her problems. Yep. And, you know, Will Smith's got a great video about this, and he talks about fault versus responsibility. Like, he talks about a domestic, uh, you know, domestic abuse situation where the girlfriend or wife might have been abused in the relationship. And he's like, listen, this is not your fault. It's his fault that you were abused in your relationship, but it is your responsibility to do something about it. And, you know, sometimes it is somebody else's fault. My stuff was self-inflicted mostly. Um, but, but, But sometimes it is somebody else's fault, and there will be times where things happen and it's somebody else's fault. But it's our responsibility every single time. Yeah, we have we have way more power than we ever realize, I think, you know, and a lot of people, I think, struggle to find that of how much control, how much power you truly do have over your own life. You know, it's yeah, it's either, you know, life is happening to you or for you, you know, and it's it's all about how you want to look at it. So well, I got to ask you this. I, I know we only have a co- only have a couple minutes left, but I mean, through everything. Yeah, sorry about that. I get to no, this is <laughs> no, this is awesome. This has been awesome. We we can make this a couple hours, but I don't think my audio guy over here would like that very much as he's, as he's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, going through everything you've been through, I mean, you've I mean, you've done an absolute one eighty. What truly keeps you going now, Bobby? I mean, through looking back at the past and what you have going on now, I mean, what really drives you and keeps you going in the right direction? And, and maybe when do, and when times do get tougher or, or you find yourself maybe being negative or whatnot, how do you flip that? So I have a very big, um, clearly identified why. Um, and it's because, you know, along the way, like I'm very grateful for all the things that have been through that have taught me lessons, but let's face it, you know, my, my charges, my crimes, and not even the, the ones I was, you know, including the ones I wasn't caught for, right. They weren't victimless, victimless crimes. So I have regrets by way of the people that got harmed along the way. Mm-hmm. I have regrets by way of the people that may have been impacted in any kind of negative fashion. And today I feel like I owe the world and the world might be a, a you know a stretch, but I owe the world by way of like 
energy, universe, that kind of thing. I owe the world as much good as I can possibly put into it. Love that. And so today and every single day, I get up with the idea that I'm bringing some good and some contribution to someone somewhere. And, you know, the harder I work in certain areas, the bigger that stage becomes, the bigger I can share my message or, you know, the more I can contribute it, contribute by way of financial contributions. Um, with my, with my home improvement business, we donate four roofs per year to our local Habitat for Humanity. Um, you know, so, you know, it's just kind of like using the vehicle I had to kind of mm -hmm. contribute in the way that I could. Um, but my biggest, most rewarding times are just speaking with at-risk kids, man. When I can look out and see me with my ears open before me, like it just, it hits home for me. I want to ring truth into those ears for that young man or young lady um, to, to really course correct and understand that there are possibilities so far beyond their current set of expectations and that with the right mindset, they go from possibility to probability. Um, and that's, and that's really it, man. Um, to me, you know, and sometimes, like I said, sometimes that means you're working hard in something that isn't part of what you're, you know, or, or what the, it's not part of the, or it's not in the end game, but it's a part of the end game. It's a part of getting to the end game. It's, it's pro it's part of the process. Mm -hmm. Um, when I worked at that, that retail store, like every single day, you couldn't, you could, if you'd have interacted with me then, Pat, you would have felt like I owned the store because I, I felt like I owned the I owned the transaction. I owned the interaction between me and every single client, coworker, customer, whatever. I owned that interaction and I was, I had to be that part. I didn't love that store or didn't want to be doing that the rest of my life, but I loved the process. I loved the role it played uh, for me. And it taught me so much that I use today in my business every single day. So for me, that's it, man. That's what keeps me going every single day is just like this, um, this re this, this, um, reimbursement of good that I owe the world. I love it, man. It's a incredible, incredible journey you have taken, Bobby. I mean, truly, <laughs> there's not much more to say about it, it than that, dude. <laughs> it, it ain't over yet. And with that being said, like I said, I pinch myself every day. I do need to do a little bit better about like taking credit for, what I've accomplished. Um, I've learned that recently, but, um, I'm quick to, you know, kind of chalk it up and just say, Hey, you know, stuff like this can be gone in the blink of an eye. Um, so, you know, I've just stay humble and just, you know, continue to work hard. Yep. Awesome. Well, Bobby, I greatly appreciate, um, you coming on here today. Uh, so a fantastic message, I mean, around taking ownership of one's life and decisions, um, choosing happiness because it is truly a choice, you know, and really about um, focusing on the process and giving back. So where, where can our listeners find you and follow you, Bobby? Uh, so the best, the best route right now would probably be uh, Instagram. Um, it's the simplest. Now my handle on Instagram is Mr. Brightside, but it's separated by underscores. So it's underscore, Mr. Underscore, bright, underscore, side, underscore. Um, and then if you search the extra mile podcast without an E, um, so it's X T R a, the extra mile podcast, 
Um, you should be able to find that on YouTube or Spotify or anywhere else to follow me there. Um, we're, uh, we're working on that. Just, uh, brought some people in to kind of, you know, boost, um, those videos. Cause again, just trying to get that message out to, to as many people as I possibly can. So there'll be some more progress with that soon. Awesome. And, and I, I listened to your podcast, the Mr. Whole Mr. Brightside nickname. We got to touch on that real briefly too quick because, uh, obviously most people are familiar with the killer song, but your persona really came before you were ever, uh, even aware of that song, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and this kind of followed me my whole life, kind of like back when you were talking about how did you keep going every day in prison? Well, I, I always had this thought in my mind, well, it doesn't matter how bad things are. It could always be worse. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, theories around that, the idea of that, um, that model being negative, but it, it made me extremely grateful for the current reality, even if I was imagining a much worse reality. So anyway, um, so I was always kind of looking on the bright side in all situations. Well, the name of our business, our home remodeling business, of course, is Brightside Exteriors. The name of my um, home investment prop, or home invest- investment company is Brightside Property Group. And one day I'm at Cheer because my daughters were in Cheer and I was at the gym. And I don't know if I'd been living under a rock my whole life or <laughs> what, but I had never heard the song before. So one of the Cheer dads came to me and was like, oh, every time I see your truck, I think of the song by the killers, Mr. Brightside. I was like, I had no clue what he was talking about. So then I listened to the song and I was like, well, this isn't the most applicable uh, title for this song, but for, for me, but, um, but everybody started calling me that and kind of call, started calling me that beforehand. And I didn't know where it came from. So, but because I had always had this mindset of like, you know, looking on the bright side of things, I just kind of ran with it and adopted it um, by way of like a stage name and uh, working on it through social media platforms and uh you know i get a lot of good feedback on it but that's that's it i don't know how i never heard the song before but i had (laughs) never heard it so and i listened to that kind of music when i was in the 90s too and i've never still never heard that song awesome so crazy love it well mr brightside bobby jones i appreciate you man um sharing your story today so uh thanks so much it was an absolute pleasure, Pat. Thank you so much for having me on, and I uh, hope that we got through as much as we wanted to. If not, I'll be happy to do a, uh, a second episode another time. Yeah, you bet. No, I'd love to have you back on to, to dive into stuff uh, a little bit more deeply. So, Well, with that, everybody, don't forget to follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook at Patrick Metzger Coaching. Um, appreciate everybody listening, tuning into the episode. Uh, be sure to uh, rate the podcast. Um, everybody knows notes, uh, links from today's show. You can find those on my podcast page on my website at patrick-metzger.com. And lastly, um, share today's episode with somebody that needs to hear a phenomenal message of ownership, um, happiness, giving back, really taking control, um, of one's life, like we said. So, uh, until next time, uh, I want to remind everybody to own you and the journey.